Hey, I've got to believe that most of you have heard this question. How many times have I told you, right? Think back. I, I remember hearing that question as a kid when I'd been asked or told by my mom or my dad to, to do something. They had a job for me, something I needed to take care of, clean my room, right? Uh, get the dirty clothes off the floor and into the hamper, or maybe empty the trash can in the kitchen, get that taken care of, or maybe it was, hey, talk nice to your sisters. And I could go on with a list of things, but I would hear that question whenever I had not done what they had asked me to do. And it was, how many times have I told you or how many times have I asked you to do that, right? Are you with me? Does that ring a bell, stir up some old memories in, in your home? And, you know, the interesting thing about that is I've seen that issue, that question from both sides. In fact, I've been involved, I know, in both sides of that question. I've been on the receiving end, as I just shared as a kid, when I heard from my mom and dad, they asked, how many times have I asked you? But I also, as a parent, was on the giving side of that. I know that I used that phrase with my own kids when one of them hadn't done or when they did what I told them not to do. How many times have I asked you not to do whatever it was? And as I think back through that, you know, uh, thankfully somewhere along the way in my parenting journey, I was encouraged to not use that question. I was told that's really not a good question to ask your kids. What if they answered all right, I, I'm not going to go there this morning. We'll deal with that another time. But as you think about that, how about you? Have you heard those words? Uh, have you asked that question of your own kids or somebody? How many times do I have to ask? Have you ever felt that way when you prayed? When you talked to God? Now, I don't mean in a, in a negative, critical, bitter way, but have you ever found yourself asking for something over and over and over again and feeling like God wasn't answering? Seemingly, you were getting no answer. It may have been, Lord, I need a job. Or, Lord, I need a different job. I just can't take this anymore. The hours and the travel and the people are ridiculous. Or it may have been a sickness. Lord, would you heal? Maybe my dad or my mom. Would you heal our kids? Or we have a close friend in need of healing. Would you heal them? Or, or maybe, maybe it's about finances. Lord, I, I've got this debt. I, it's hanging over my head. Would you help me to get out of this? God, what am I going to do with my bills? I don't know. I don't know what to do. God. Or it might be marriage. Maybe you've been praying for your kid's marriage. 
Maybe you've been praying for your parents' marriage. Maybe it's your own marriage that is in trouble, that is in need of restoration, and you've been asking God to do something, but you feel like He's turned a deaf ear. Or maybe, maybe you've been praying for somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you've been asking God to save them. It may be a family member. It may be a neighbor. It may be a close friend. And for years, you've been asking God to save them. But to this point, nothing has happened. And you have wondered, you have wondered, where are you, God? Why don't you answer? Why don't you do something? You know, as we get into our study on Habakkuk, as we began last week and set the table for you, and as we begin with Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning, the prophet Habakkuk was in a conversation with God. That's right. And he got very close to asking God the same question that I remember my parents asked of me, that I asked of our kids. How many times have I asked you? Very close. So as we dive into our text this morning, Habakkuk chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Habakkuk chapter 1. Hey, last week I challenged you to... uh, to read the book of Habakkuk, the entire book, all three chapters, every day. Have you done that? Are you seven for seven? I hope so. If not, hey, that's all right. If you only got three or four uh, or one, at least you read it once, but pick it up, work at it. Remember, less than 10 minutes, that's all it takes. And I'd encourage you to do that. It will really help you to become familiar with the text as we continue to study Habakkuk and all that was going on there in his life. I'd like to read for you the the first four verses. I'll have it on the screen here. You can follow along in your own Bibles. But here it is, Habakkuk chapter 1. Let me read for you the first four verses. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, probably a vision or a dream of some sort when God spoke to him. There's all types of conjecture on how that was, but it doesn't matter. We're told it was a prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received from God. Verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen, or cry out to you, uh, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law, we're talking here about the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Wow. That's Habakkuk's conversation with God as he talks about this. Back to verse 2. How long, Lord, how long must I call for help, but you do not listen? Now, if you've never studied that word listen, I'm not going to get into it real deeply this morning, but one of the things that you need to know is there's not a verb for 
uh, respond or obey it's, it, as it relates to this. When, when, the question, when the word listen, it's not just talking about the earing of the ears. When that word was used, it meant a response, typically obedience. But in this case, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, how long will you listen and not do anything about it? That's really, you're not going to respond when we, Israel was told to listen, that meant listen and do what God says. And that's what we have here. And then we read also verse 3. Why? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? That was Habakkuk's concern. How long do I have to keep asking? What is God doing um, why isn't God doing anything? Why doesn't he do something? Why isn't God paying attention? Why isn't God responding? That was the question on Habakkuk's mind. Now, I'm sure driving down the highway, you've seen this sign in construction everywhere you can't travel far and not come up with construction right and you have to move and and there's that sign caution men at work have you ever seen this sign God at work God at work now you probably haven't seen that sign but in scripture it's real clear that God is at work and today, you need to grab hold of this one truth. God is at work. He is at work right now. He is at work in the world around us. He is at work in your world. He is at work in your life. God is doing something. God is always at work. In fact, He is always working in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. That's part of what we're, we're reading here at the beginning of Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, Habakkuk is wondering, he's questioning God. God, why aren't you doing something? Why do you tolerate this? Why, why do you look at this injustice and not respond? But God is doing something. Now Habakkuk in these first four verses, was talking about the nation of Israel. He was talking about God's chosen people. He was talking about the Jews. He was talking about the two southern tribes that we called Judah. The ten northern tribes were called Israel. But, but Habakkuk is talking about the sin in the two southern tribes of Judah. The Jews, Israel, they were not obedient to God. They had violated their covenant, their promise to God that they would walk with them. And Habakkuk saw it. And as we see this, look again at verse 3 with me, if you will. He said, why do you make me look at injustice? This is the injustice in the lives of the Jewish people. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Wrongdoing in the lives of God's people. Destruction and violence are before me. That's what he was, he's saying, God, there's destruction amongst your people. There's violence. And that word violence, it was not just a, a typical run-of-the-mill kind of violence. This was like flagrant violation of God's word. 
Now, we haven't been watching any kind of sports at all here for, for six or seven weeks, however long it's been. But if you can remember back that far, whether it's in the game of basketball or, or, or particularly basketball, sometimes football, but, but in, in basketball, if somebody fouls somebody, they break the laws of basketball and foul somebody, they, the whistle blows, the referee calls a foul. But if that player who gets the foul called on him uh, has done something over and beyond, he's hit the guy in the head or, or in the face or really, really fouled the guy hard, knocked it, we call a flagrant foul. And this is what, what uh, Habakkuk was seeing in Israel, violence, flagrant violation of the law. Of God, And then he goes on, and before me there is strife and conflict abound. Things were not good for Judah. And Habakkuk is saying, God, they're violating the promise. And here it is, he goes on. And in verse 4, here we have some more. Therefore the law is paralyzed. It was numbed, is the word, of no effect. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. The wicked prosper, the righteous suffer. That's what's going on here. So that justice is perverted. It's twisted. It's not what it ought to be. It's being interpreted in a way that God never intended. When they called justice, it was evil. And that's what Habakkuk is concerned about. God, they're breaking the promise. You said you would do something about it, and you're not. At least that's what Habakkuk thought. Why doesn't God do something? I, time out for a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Write it down. Put somewhere and go back and check it out later on. You want to know what that covenant was? You want to know what the promise that God had made with the nation of Israel Oh, man, There's, it, it's found, and this is the second time, because this is after the wilderness wandering in about year 38 or 39, before they'd gone into the promised land, and, and Moses is repeating all of what God had told them. The covenant is there. If they obeyed, this would happen. If they didn't obey, this would happen. Check that out. It would be an interesting study so you can see what it was that was so uh, so upsetting to Habakkuk. But as he moved on, I want you to look now too at, at Habakkuk. Let's look at verse 5. Because the, th these verses we're looking at is the first question that Habakkuk has and God's first response. The first two chapters we said last week are made up of two questions by Habakkuk, two responses by God. This is the first question, the first response. I, I say response because it's really not an answer in a sense. Uh, God goes on, and here it is. He says to Habakkuk in verse 5, um, look at the nations and watch. It's kind of like he's saying, you don't think I'm doing anything? Just watch and see. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. 
And he goes on, and, and here, here's that amazing thing, something that you wouldn't believe, Habakkuk. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now, if you want to read up on the Babylonians, uh, we're going to spend some time later on talking about this in the next couple of weeks. I, I didn't want to dig into it too deeply here, but verse 7, we, we get a feel for them. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. In other words, they could give a rip about anything God has to say. There, there's no law that they have to follow except whatever they decide to do. That They're a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Talk about pride and arrogance. There it is. They promote their own honor. And then down to verse 11, the last uh, verse in this section. Then they sweep, and, and again, talking about uh, the Babylonians. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is, they, is their God. You see, these people were godless people. They, they worshiped their own strength. They worshiped their own ability. They worshiped their, their brutality. They worshiped their violence. They were told even, you'll see next week, they worshiped their own weapons because they could have cared less about the God of Israel, the one God of this universe. And so that's how God responds to Habakkuk. The Lord was doing something. He had a plan. It just wasn't what Habakkuk thought it should be. You see, it wasn't about Habakkuk's agenda. God had his own agenda for how he would deal both with the sin of Judah and how later on he would deal with the Babylonian people who were told, Habakkuk says, were more evil than the nation of Israel that they were supposed to punish. Babylon was an ungodly nation. They had risen to power. They had defeated the nation of Assyria who had taken the northern tribes of, of Israel in, into captivity. But Babylon had defeated them. Babylon had also defeated Egypt. And now they were about to take on the nation of Israel, the two southern tribes, because God was using them to deal with their sin. But remember, God is at work. God is always at work in this world and in your life. Grab hold of that truth. Now you say, well, it seems obvious. Well, but when we begin to wonder if God is doing anything or we begin to wonder why God doesn't do this or why God doesn't do that, in effect, we're saying, God, you're, you're not at work. You're, you're not involved. You're not doing anything. No, understand it's critical that we know that God is always at work. And God is always at work in your life and mine. That's critical. And here's why this is important. It, it's, it's, we need to get it. Because when life is hard or confusing or uncertain 
or all of the above. We need to be able to, uh, when, when you were struggling with those things, and when we're asking, as Habakkuk did, how long, God? Or when we're asking, why, God? You need to know that God is accomplishing His purpose on this earth. He is accomplishing His purpose in your life and in mine. That's critical. Because if we don't understand that God is always at work, when things around us are happening, not according to our agenda, God doesn't seem to be on the same page as we are. Listen, we need to remember God is at work accomplishing His plan, His purpose in your life. You need to be able to be confident that He is intentionally uh, using your life experiences to refine, to conform, to perfect, to upgrade you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, to make you more like Jesus. I'm not going to go to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. You may know those verses or be somewhat familiar, but again, write them down. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Those verses tell you what, what God wanted Habakkuk to know. They will tell you what I was just saying, that God is using every circumstance in life, in your life, to make you conformed, upgraded to the image of his son. You see, sometimes we read that and we think, well, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, no. That's why I use the word upgrade. Have you ever traveled? Have you ever flown in an airplane and, and you did enough so that you had miles or something or you were recognized as a frequent flyer and uh, you would sometimes, I remember when I was traveling and doing a lot of flying, I, I would get that privilege at times. And, and when I would be in line, uh, I'd step up and sometimes, oh, Mr. Amos, hey, we've upgraded you to first class. Woohoo! Wow. That, that, that's always an exciting thing. It's better. When God is using the circumstances, the hard stuff, the coronavirus and all of the stuff that's related to that in our lives today, it's to make us more like Jesus. It's to make us better. That's what we need to understand. And we need to be confident in all of that. Listen. Believing that God is at work in your life is living by faith. That's the theme of the book. We talked about that last week. The righteous person will live by his faith. That's Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. And, and it's important that we, uh, can I go back to that for a minute? It's important that we understand that. The righteous person, those who have, those who know God because they put their faith in Jesus, they will live by that faith. We're not just saved by faith, but we are to live by faith. And when you believe that God is at work in this world, 
in every circumstance, in everything that comes into your life, and you believe God's at work, that's living by faith. Remember how we defined it last week? We said faith is this. Living by faith is a journey. And uh, it's important that we understand that living by faith is a journey you take without knowing what's around the next corner. You don't know what the day brings forth, right? Uh, We know that if you're watching the news and hearing the latest on the coronavirus or whatever else, and, and and it changes day by day. But we don't know what's around the next corner. But believing, no matter what is around that next corner, We believe that God will bring you through it and you will be better for it. Living by faith is a journey you take without knowing what's around the next corner, but believing no matter what is there, God will bring you through it and you will be better for it. That's God's plan for us. I came across a couple of verses this week. I I know I've read them. But they hit me as if that's the first time I read them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Mark this down and and go to your Bible. Put it, marker there and study through through the whole fourth chapter. Uh, It's very, it goes together. But here, Paul says this, for our light, and momentary troubles. Now you may not think that what you're experiencing today would be light, but it is momentary. You keep hearing all the time, we will get through this. We will get beyond this. It will go away. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. God is using those troubles to achieve in us an eternal glory that far outweighs all the trouble. That's what he's saying. And then look at this, verse 18. So, because that's true, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not the circumstances, not the troubles, but on what is unseen. What's that? Since what is unseen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. The eternal good. The eternal plan of God that He is achieving for us in our lives. It's synonymous with Romans 8, 28 and 29, but said in a different way. We focus on not what's going on around us. Focus on eternity, the unseen, what God is doing. You see, Habakkuk couldn't see what God was doing. God was at work. He was always at work. It just didn't line up with Habakkuk's agenda, so he thought God wasn't doing anything. But here we find, we focus on the unseen because God is using the troubles and the trials and the tests to achieve for us an eternal glory. Wow. So what now? So what now? What do we do? How do we respond to the fact that God is at work in your life? He is at work in all of what's going on in our lives today. Well, 
If you're going to get from why to wow, remember we talked about that last week, kind of that, that memorable theme of the book of Habakkuk. Getting from why, here in chapter 1, to wow at the end of chapter 3. If we're going to get there, two things we need to be ready to do. Number one, we need to lean in to what God's doing. Lean into God's work, right? Because we've said God is at work. Lean in to God's work. What do I mean by that? Don't try to escape. So many times life gets hard and we begin, begin to say, God, would you please take this away? No, no, no. That's not what we ought to be doing. Oh, we can pray for strength and courage and boldness in the midst of the trial, but God brought it into your life to help us to be more like Jesus. I heard one individual, I was, was doing some study and, and actually heard a message and it was talking about, don't leave the gym early. I thought, oh man, that resonates with me. Now, my gym's closed right now. But sometimes the tendency is, God, just go and put in a couple minutes and, and I can feel good that I showed up. No, 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 don't leave the gym early. What are we talking about? Don't sabotage God's work. I, I, uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. And, and, and again, these verses are familiar with you to some degree, I'm sure, but James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, to those who know Jesus, whenever you face trials of many kinds, not if, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy. Why? Because you know, you know confidently that the testing of your faith, that's the difficult, living in the difficult times, God is going to test, make your faith stronger, make sure it's authentic and genuine, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What's perseverance? It's the ability to hold up under pressure, the ability to stay with it, to not give up, to not run away, to not scream out in anger at God. But the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And, and then he goes on, and get this. Let perseverance finish its work. There it is. Don't sabotage the work of God in your life by running away or by closing your mind or your heart or by trying to escape. Embrace it. Embrace what God's doing. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything you see God wants to make us more like Jesus he wants to make our faith strong God is at work always in your life and mine to use life's experiences hard circumstances to make us mature and complete so that we don't lack anything that's God's plan that's God's agenda for your life. That's God's agenda for my life. That's what we're talking about here. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't sabotage what God's doing by running from it, by getting angry, by closing your mind and your heart. That does a God, I've had it. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, 
I'm not even going to pray anymore. I'm not even going to read the Bible. It doesn't work. I'm tired. No, no, no. Let perseverance finish its work. Endure. Now, you know what? I know, I, I know. I've been there. There are times when you go through this and, and you believe. You know. You say, I'm confident that God is at work in my life. But it's hard and, and we're ready to give up. It, it's like God knew that. Not like he did know that. And so he gives us one more thing that we need to do when we get to that point. He says in verse 5, he's, when all of that has happened, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you don't understand what's going on, you don't see God's hand, you're missing the fact that God is doing something, that he is at work, that his desire is to make you more like Jesus. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. You know, I like to think of that finding fault. You know what that is? We've been talking about the question this morning. How many times have I told you? God says he'll give wisdom without finding fault. God will not say to you or I when we cry out to him, when we pray and ask for wisdom, he will not say, hey, hello, how many times have I told you? You see, we have the Bible full of God's direction to us. And when we still don't understand we still lack wisdom, he says, ask, and God will not say, how many times have I told you? That's his promise. Wow. God is at work using all of life's difficulties and trials to test and strengthen our faith and to develop perseverance which will lead to maturity and strength and completion of God's work in our lives oh do you realize the ripple effect that we would see and experience in our church if we all leaned into God's work in our lives if we grabbed hold of that truth that God is at work and just leaned into it and asked God rather than how long or why, if we asked him simply, oh Lord, what do you want to accomplish in my life? Oh Lord, what do you want to do in my life through these trials, through these difficult times. Oh, if we would cry out to God that way, you know what? We would experience maturity and completion and we would be those who don't lack anything. Oh God, make me more like Jesus. I'm telling you, that would have an impact beyond our dreams 
and the lives of people who know Jesus that are around us and the lives of people around us who do not know Jesus. Wow. We would turn our communities, our schools, our workplace, our homes, our church upside down. Man, I trust you will look at all that we're dealing with today and say, God is at work. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you've shown to us. Thank you for the mercy. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the faith to live by, not just to believe and be saved by, but to live by so that we see your hand, so that we see your work in our lives, your desire to grow us, to make us more like Jesus. Oh God, help us to lean in to your work in our lives. And when we miss it, when we don't understand, when we're struggling, oh God, that we'd ask wisdom, ask for wisdom, knowing that you won't find fault. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.